Welcome to Too Much Not Enough, a podcast about the obsessions of two very intense people. I'm Emma Winston. And I'm Darius Kazemi. And today we're going to talk to you about the decentralized web. What does it mean? It's kind of a weird term because the web technically has always been decentralized Mm -hmm. in that you know, in the early days of the web, that's what it was. It was different computers at different universities and they were talking to each other and there was no central command anywhere. But that's not entirely true of the internet anymore in practice. We have all sorts of centralization. You might have a lot of your data on Apple servers or Google servers. That's a form of centralization. Everybody needs to have an Instagram account to look at pictures of people's lunches then that's a form of centralization. It's like a de facto social layer of centralization or maybe even like a capital layer of centralization like on top of the decentralized infrastructure. Okay, this is already a head fuck because I hadn't thought about it that way. And when I think about it that way, then the decentralized structure that you are proposing we move towards is in fact no less decentralized. When I'm talking about the decentralized web in this podcast, what I, to be glib, what I mean is like the sort of this sort of new crop of social network services that are popping up. Uh, Mastodon is one of them. A lot of people are making a lot of noise about it being a good alternative to Twitter that doesn't have corporate control. Uh, but and that that may be true. Uh, I'm actually excited about even weirder things about a decentralized internet. And um, uh, and I guess I can say, as of today, uh, when we're recording this, that uh, I'm actually going to be spending 10 months on this problem as a Mozilla Open Web Fellow starting this in September. It's your job now. It is basically going to be my job in a couple weeks. So, or probably, or actually like one week from when this airs. Basically, September. Wish, I wish I had like one of those party blower things, because... I feel like I can't I can't do an appropriate yeah like that like that like that I'm not I'm not good at I'm too English to do like an appropriately congratulatory tone of voice but I and everyone else is very proud that sounded really insincere but it was not meant to be so yeah I'll be working more or less full-time on decentralized web things so I'm really really obsessed with this right now and hopefully the obsession will continue through the rest of this fellowship. So Mastodon, it's a piece of software. It's open source which means that anybody can contribute to it in theory and I have contributed to it. So like I help write the documentation or I'll make a new feature or I'll fix a bug. And this is one thing that makes it different from something like Twitter, because if I find a bug in Twitter, all I can do is submit a customer service report and then hope that they fix it. You have but to tell them to fix it rather than I have to fixing tell them it yourself. Yeah. yeah. Whereas whereas on Mastodon, not only can I fix it myself, but when I submit the request to them, they can choose not to accept it. Like, for example, if my fix is to, to refine and replace every instance of Darius with the most amazing Darius, whenever someone says it, right? Like, that could be a fix that I could make. And I think it's a fix because I think it's true. I, I, I should be I referred mean, to. It would probably get way. pretty annoying after a while, but. <laughs> but so, if, even if they decide that they don't want to accept that fix, 
I can run my own version of the software that has that fix. So it's a little bit difficult if you're not familiar with the processes of open source, but it essentially means I can make a copy of the software and do whatever I want, make whatever modifications I want to that copy. And then other people can use those modifications if they find them useful. Now, what's confusing is that there's Mastodon, which is the software, and then there's Mastodon.social, which is a website that is a server that runs that software. So one weird thing about Mastodon is it's decentralized. So... Which in this instance means it's not one place. Right? Yes, it's not. Yeah, it's not one website. Although it kind of sometimes feels like it is because there is one server that's much bigger than all the others. Yeah, exactly. So my server is called friend.camp. There's another instance in addition to mine. I mean, there are thousands of instances. One of the big ones is called mastodon.social. And an instance, it is a website that runs Mastodon. So for example, you can go to three different blogs at three different URLs. And they could all be using WordPress. I was but, also just about to bring up WordPress. As yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like that. It's like it's got the same underlying software, but it's different people running it and publishing different things. Uh, but in this case, instead of a blog, it's an entire social network. And to complicate things further is these social networks can talk to each other. So... FriendCamp can talk to Mastodon.social, which can talk to any of the other thousand plus Mastodon instances that it is possible for you to join as a person. Which kind of both makes it less complicated and more complicated because you can still use it as if it was one website like Twitter, except that you have to choose a place to sign up to begin with or multiple places. Right. It is fundamentally a different model for social network services and other things than we are used to. And that's part of what makes it exciting. It's part of what makes it fucking infuriating. I don't think that I really understand what the benefits of it are. The more mm -hmm. I read about it, the less I understand the benefits of it. I can list off like four or five different benefits. And some of those benefits will matter to some people and some of them will matter to others. So I don't mm. think anyone is going to look at that list of benefits and go, oh my God, everything matches with what I want. Mm. But I think there's different benefits for different people. So one benefit is lack of centralized corporate control. So there are there is some amount of centralization because if you join FriendCamp and I, Darius Kazemi, am the person who runs it, you are dependent on me in order to like make your experience good mm -hmm. on there. But if you're my friend or you have a lot of trust in me or we've had an internet relationship for a long time, that's probably much nicer than filing a customer support request on Twitter. But also, if you were just a random stranger who joined FriendCamp, it would probably not be that much different from Twitter. And in fact, it might be worse because I'm only one person and you don't really feel comfortable talking to me Mm. and so on which i guess is the issue that mastodon.social has yeah which is also the only instance that a lot of people know exists yeah. Personally, <laughs> so you essentially end up with just being on a smaller version of twitter yeah exactly personally i don't think mastodon.social ever should have gotten bigger than a certain number i don't know what that number is 
But, but they, they keep um, closing it though, don't they? They do, yeah. And then they reopen and it then and they then reopen they close it. it. Yeah. And, I mean, I yeah, only lasted so. about four days there before I couldn't take it anymore. So. Right, right. So another benefit of the decentralization is in theory, and this is in theory right now, but the, the groundwork is there. You have that lack of corporate centralization. What comes with that is like the potential to know who your administrators are and have a personal relationship with them. Mm-hmm. With that comes the benefits of potential customization. Mm-hmm. So for example, on FriendCamp, we have a few features that are on FriendCamp that aren't anywhere else. And the reason we have those features is the people on FriendCamp asked me to make them happen. Am and I, I allowed to talk about the hot dog? Yeah, do it. So I was I was on mastodon.social for like three or four days and I did not get on with it for various reasons. Um, but one thing that I did like very much about it was that it had a custom emoji which, uh, oh God, this is, God, this is like explaining memes to your parents. The Snapchat hot dog. <laughs> Yeah, the dancing hot dog. Which is not, yeah, it's it's a dancing hot dog with headphones. If you Google Snapchat hot dog, you'll be able to see it. And I find it hilarious for some reason. I said this to Darius and within two minutes we had the hot dog emoji and I was delighted and it made my day. And uh, in fact, it made my entire week because I am easily pleased. So, you know, I consider that to be a significant benefit. I can't email the people at Twitter and be like, you need to introduce the dancing hot dog. I mean, I can, but they won't do it. They won't listen. Whereas, I mean, you had done it before I even sent you the example emoji. So, (laughs) Well, with the lack of corporate control also comes more openness. So, for example... uh, If you remember, if you've been on Twitter for a number of years, you'll remember that it used to be so that people could post photos to Instagram and they would also post to Twitter at the same time and there would be a nice uh, inline photo that rendered in a tweet. So you wouldn't actually have to click through to Instagram to Mm -hmm. see it. You could if you wanted to comment or something. Basically, the day that Instagram got purchased by Facebook... Twitter turned off that feature. I did not know that that was the reason. Mm-hmm. How interesting. At the time, they saw Instagram as a independent and complementary service, so they didn't mind that level of interoperability. Mm. But they knew that Facebook was a competitor. And so once Instagram became part of Facebook, they were like, well, we can't treat our competitors' content as first class. Even though, is it really a competitor? Right, but it doesn't anyway, matter. All that matters is matter, that they believe yeah. they are. The thing with Mastodon is that it's built on a standard called ActivityPub. And I'm not going to get into it too much because it still makes my head spin a little bit. But basically, ActivityPub is an agreed-upon set of rules for how social networks can talk to each other, uh, no matter where, what servers they live on or anything like that. So, for example, um, email works on similar rules. The reason why Gmail can talk to Hotmail and can talk to whatever other mail server is out there is because everybody formats their emails the same way. So mm-hmm. you can read one email on one service and vice versa. The, um, the problem with Facebook and Twitter, for example, is that they don't conform to those standards and indeed they actively block people who try to do that sort of thing. So... Um, because they want people to stay on 
their service. Mm. They don't want it. They don't want to make it so that, oh, you can still see all the content on Twitter if you don't have a Twitter account. Yeah. So ActivityPub is what Mastodon is based on. And any social network that uses ActivityPub, in theory, Mastodon can talk to. Right now, there's another social network called Pleroma. I, yeah, which, I was wondering how that fitted into Yeah, it. it's a completely different piece of software. It's written in an entirely oh. different computer language, but it uses the ActivityPub spec. Mm. So accounts on Pleroma can follow and talk to and interact with accounts on Mastodon. Do they? I mean, they, do. they can, yeah. but I do fo- they? <laughs> yeah, and they do. Yeah, I follow uh, dozens of Pleroma users, partly because, uh, you know, I'm technical and I want to keep up on what the project is doing mm. and all the project I follow site no Pleroma accounts. users. Yeah. yeah. Pleroma and users, hit me up. <laughs> not, in a, not in a weird way. In a nice way. Not a weird, nice way. Just a nice one. A friendly way. So that's kind of cool in that there's two totally different pieces of social network software and they can talk to each other. There's another social network. It's its own piece of software. It's called PeerTube, and it is YouTube. So it hosts videos, and you have video channels and things like that. But it uses ActivityPub. Is it available yet? Because I was looking at it earlier, and I could not find a place to like actually try it out. My friend Micah publishes all her... She does like kind of engineering tutorial mm-hmm. videos, and she posts them up there. And you can... You can, of course, sign up on PeerTube and follow her there, but you, the beauty is you don't have to have a PeerTube account. Mm. You can just follow from your Mastodon account because it uses that same protocol mm-hmm. to talk. So imagine a world where like, you have your Facebook account and you don't have any other accounts, but it doesn't matter because you can subscribe to someone's Snapchat from there. You can subscribe to someone's Twitter from there. Mm. You can subscribe to someone's YouTube from there. And so you have that flexibility. So that's like another promise of decentralization is in theory, it can kill what's referred to as the network effect, which is the idea that people want to be where the people are. Mm. So if you go to a new social network and none of your friends are on there, you're probably not going to stick around too long. But if all your friends are on Snapchat, you're suddenly feeling a lot of pressure to join Snapchat. Mm-hmm. The nice thing about decentralization is if if all these services were decentralized, like my friend uh, Micah again with her PeerTube channel, I didn't have to create a PeerTube account. I don't have a PeerTube account because I don't need one right now. I just followed her PeerTube mm-hmm. from Mastodon. Yep. So, so everything's on my little friend camp instance mm-hmm. in that case. Hopefully more and more services will start to use it. I'm actually... Really excited for when things like WordPress start to use it because, um, you know, right now the main protocol that WordPress uses is RSS, Mm. which is an older protocol. Many of our listeners might be familiar with it, but it's basically, it stands for really simple syndication. And it was what what you can basically. I had no idea that was what it stood for. Yeah. And hey, (laughs) learn something new every day. And it's basically just a format that lets you subscribe to feeds of content. Uh, In fact, every podcast has an RSS feed because RSS is the primary technology that enables podcast subscription to happen. So, Also did not um, know that. Probably should have known that given that I'm on a podcast (laughs) right now. Anyway, (laughs) yeah, well, you know, I handle all the the feed crap. So, Um, yeah. ActivityPub, I feel like, could be the next RSS. It, it, would be, it, it would be possible for a piece of software like WordPress 
to turn every blog into its own activity pub server. Mm-hmm. So so if I have a blog at tinysubversions.com slash blog where I post in WordPress, I could imagine a future where in addition to publishing the RSS data like WordPress normally does, it also publishes activity pub data. Mm. And then what that would mean is if someone wanted to subscribe to my blog, they could point Mastodon, for example, to the URL of my blog. Mm. And then they would subscribe to it. And whenever I posted to my blog, it would appear in their feed, just like, you know, someone else's Mastodon posts would appear. So what I don't get about this is that each of these networks has its own specialization and has its own limitations. So how... How can that possibly work if Mastodon has, what is it, a 500-character limit per post? Mm-hmm. How can yeah. that possibly be compatible with something that isn't 500 characters? Right, like blogs. Well, and we're, we're already running into this problem because there are some Mastodon instances that are customized to have 5,000-character oh. posts. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, right. So, and, and, but this is a problem that can be solved on the client side with design, Mm. I think. So for example, right now in Mastodon, you can make lists of accounts that you follow and you can create kind of different columns for those Mm. lists. So I actually have a list of PeerTube accounts that I follow and I keep them in their own columns separate from the rest of the content. So that's one way that I like to personally organize that. And so what I'm hoping for is that if blogs start doing this sort of thing, then Mastodon will, you know, cut off the blogs mm. at 500 characters and just put a, you yeah. know, click here to see more link, right? I'm curious to see what happens, like, from the perspective of, like, content creation. Because mm-hmm. at the moment, it seems like there's lots of options for content consumption. I suppose I am curious to know if it would be possible, and I mean, of course it would be possible, if it would be possible to have everything in one place in terms of, like, where I make stuff. Like, I have a blog, I have a YouTube channel, I have a Facebook page for publicising gigs and stuff, and I have to update everything every time I do anything. And it seems like this might be a better system for collapsing that all onto one platform. I think in theory, yes. Especially like once PeerTube is somewhat mature and once Mm. Mastodon is more mature and maybe these blogging services and everything like that. Like I could imagine, like uh, like, so for example, um, Patreon, right? Mm -hmm. Like right now Patreon has an interface where in theory you can post video, you can post podcasts, you can post blog posts, you can post pictures, you can post timed videos that go away after a certain amount of time. So now Patreon is weird because it's kind of a closed ecosystem. Mm. But in terms of like it being a place where you can put all sorts of media, like that, they do have that kind of interface. Mm. And I could imagine a front end like what Patreon has. Maybe there's even payment built in like in Mm. Patreon. And I could imagine a front end like that and then people could subscribe, but it's all ActivityPub Mm. compliant and then people could subscribe to that. So in short... Yes, perhaps. But if to, to me, it seems like the thing in the way and the thing that separates something like this from something like email is the network effect. Because for it to work properly, doesn't it have to 
overtake centralization. And for it to overtake centralization, people have to adopt it. And at least yes. in my social circles, people are not really adopting it. Like people are trying to adopt it, but not really successfully doing so. I still think email works as a as a metaphor though here because yes, email still relies on a network effect. If nobody you knew had an email account, then you wouldn't need email. That is true. Where the network effect goes away is it doesn't matter who you have an email account with. Mm. If your less technically minded friends need an easy to use email interface, they will probably use Apple email or Google email mm. or whatever. And if your more technically minded friends who are nuts about privacy and all that sort of stuff want to do their thing, they can run their own mail server and log in through text and uh, do it that way. But to use this as an analogy, we are at mm -hmm. the point essentially where no one has an email address. And I, I can't quite see how it's possible to get beyond that. Because I think we're at the point in the history of email where email clients were still all really poorly designed. And I, I, really wait, are we still talking about email metaphorically or are we talking? Okay, no, right. I see what you mean. Okay, so if we so haven't had like our America Online or Yahoo Mail yet. I mean, what do you think the likelihood is of a corporation picking up? something like this because it sort of seems to me like maybe the and I am kind of not I'm not getting this from anywhere it's kind of just like a sense that I have that things have changed slightly and and companies like Google seem less keen on adopting kind of open protocols is that fair to say I don't know yes. I just yeah okay so I'm not just and I hope they nowhere. don't pick up on this I mean I hope that's true I hope the big companies don't come in and I hope that we can as a community make like friendlier software on our own for people. One of my favorite pieces of software out there right now is called Pinafore, pinafore.social. It's essentially an alternate web-based interface to Mastodon so you can log into your Mastodon account using Pinafore instead of Mastodon and uh, it's much faster and it's much more accessible, actually. It's like better for screen readers and that sort of thing. And it's only a single column, so it's less confusing. It's more like a kind of classic Twitter interface. Um, and, uh, and I, and I want to see more projects like that. I want to see more projects where people are like, well, how do we make this like more convenient and faster and better for people? It's also about propagation, though, isn't it? Like, I suppose yeah. the the difference between like you can make the most beautiful usable piece of interface design in the world and if no one knows it exists then it kind of doesn't really matter which sure. and i suppose like yeah i wonder how i wonder how that can be got around because obviously once someone like google picks up on activity pub stuff people will find out about it but right because they have a marketing budget mm, and all that but to avoid that it has to, like, the things that you make as a, a kind of smaller scale developer have to be seen by enough people to ensure adoption. I guess this is a good time for me to talk about FriendCamp a little bit. Mm. So about two weeks ago, actually it was about a week ago, <laughs> Wait, was um, I decided, here? yeah, it was a week ago. FriendCamp's been around for nine days. So I've been running my own personal Mastodon server, like just for me. I'm like those nerds who have their own email server that's just for them. But for me, instead of email, it's Mastodon. 
and I'd been running that for almost two years. So I had like practice running a Mastodon server. I just didn't have any users other than myself. Uh, so then I decided, okay, I, I actually do want to start my own thing. I'm like tired of Twitter now. Twitter has like pushed me off their platform with a combination of policy and technical decisions that make it hard for me to make bots there anymore. So if I can't make my art there, what's the point, right? So I was like, well, maybe I will set up something basically for me and my friends. And then that sort of mutated into, as I started writing out the sort of rules of the road, I decided maybe that should just be me and people who trust me to be their administrator. Mm -hmm. So I started FriendCamp. It is friend.camp. It is now, and I believe will always be, an invite-only type situation. So when you go there, you see some documentation. The documentation says, look, if you're going to join this Mastodon instance, you have to trust Darius Kazemi because he is going to be the person taking care of all your information. And if you don't trust him, you probably shouldn't join this instance because you're going to need to negotiate with him at one point or another. So you better feel comfortable with that. And so that's basically the ground rules there. We have an extensive code of conduct on other things because I find it helpful to be explicit about this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But the ground rule is you got to trust me and you got to agree to play by my rules, essentially. And you yep. also have to trust me on a meta level to have good rules, mm -hmm. right? So, and if that doesn't fly with you, go find another instance. You know, yep. this it's not for everyone. So that said, um, I think we got about 20 people on there right now, I 25. Think it's more than that. I think, oh, I think it's, it's quite, it's I think it's quite significantly more than that now, actually. Let me check. 40 users. 40 users. Wow. 40 okay. users. That is quite a All lot right, of people. 40 users. That yeah. is quite a lot yeah. of people. Most of those people, I would guess about 30 of those people are people I know either IRL or we've had a long kind of internet relationship that's been reciprocal. Mm -hmm. I'd say about 10 of those users are people who have been following my work for a long time and trust me even though I don't know who they are. And since they agreed to the, ter the terms of service, you know, it's like, cool, if they misbehave, I have every right to kick them off the mm -hmm. instance. So, so that's where we're at right now. Uh, and it, as I mentioned earlier, it has allowed me to do things like customize the functionality of the social network, you know, that the users request from me. The posts are not called toots anymore. Yes, she yeah. She says it, alienating on, on, like every listener we have who enjoys Mastodon. Yeah, on Mastodon, the default name, instead of calling them tweets, they're called toots. And the reason for this is there was an early, early financial backer of Mastodon who donated a fair amount of money to the project. And his one of his strings that was attached to it was i want you to call them toots and so they did okay this makes i'm about to go on off on a tangent but i'm gonna try and make it a short one and hopefully it will yeah. be an interesting one um that that makes a hell of a lot of sense actually because one of the things that has really really confused me about it as a piece of software is that its whole thing is that it's decentralized and it's not one product it's software that you can run your own product with and yet the branding of it is so corporate feeling like it has a cute animal mascot and it has this really distinctive language that to me doesn't say this is a blank slate on which you should build your own thing it says this has its own like specific brand identity this is what it looks like this is what it feels like you can change it but 
it's so distinctive that why would you? And that makes a lot of sense if the reason for that is that it had a corporate backer at one point. And it they actually was were an individual, in... not a corporation. Oh, uh, okay. Which is interesting. Uh, yeah, it was just a, it was just an individual backer. It was the equivalent of like someone buying the top tier Kickstarter, you know, a reward. And that reward is you get to name what a post is called. Okay, because you know? I half wonder if that is the reason that some people I know seem to be confused by the structure of it because it it feels like it must be one site. I think the fact that the software if is called Mastodon sense. and the main instance is called Mastodon.social is horrible and awful. Oh, I hadn't like, even I thought about that, actually. That I didn't even consider. That's interesting. I mean, WordPress kind of has that problem too. There's WordPress.com, which is the website that hosts that you can, the corporate website that hosts blogs using the WordPress software. And then there's WordPress.org, which is the software that you can install on your own machine. So this, yeah, this obviously is not a new thing. But then WordPress doesn't have such a kind of strong 2018 cutesy brand identity as Mastodon does. I love Mastodon like for a lot of reasons. I hate it for a lot of reasons too, but mostly love it. And part of this is it was it, it was a reflexive response to Twitter. So it was mm. built in Twitter's image, just yeah. decentralized. Yeah. And Twitter has a bird mascot. So mm. of course, you know, you need a cute animal mascot for your yeah. Twitter clone. But then it also makes sense that people think it's exactly the same thing as Twitter because it looks and feels right. like Twitter. Yeah. And then and as so you start is... to dig into it, you start <laughs> to realize it's actually not exactly like Twitter. So on FriendCamp, posts are no longer called toots. They're called posts. <laughs> revolutionary (laughs) i've made a bunch of other tweaks as well just you know from ranging from the fairly minor to the fairly major and i'm going to continue to make tweaks for the users because you know i can get consensus amongst 20 30 40 50 maybe even 100 people Mm. on oh does it sound good to you if i if i implement this thing this way Mm-hmm. And people are mostly like, yeah, cool. And if they're not, then I'll be like, all right, maybe we can find a compromise. Mm-hmm. So I figure I might as well run my ideal server, mm-hmm. which is the server where everyone trusts their admin. Yeah. And I would like to live in a world where everyone is on small servers and they trust their admins. And I can't make that world, but I can at least be a good example of what yeah. that world might be. I mean, I suppose my the the point where I get confused about how it would be possible to spread it more widely is that like to me FriendCamp feels very very different from Mastodon.social and I did not like Mastodon.social. It's a giant full forum it's like a crowded public space with jerks and everything. I mean no one was a jerk to me but it was very kind of it was very full-on and like anything it's overwhelming was yeah anything you said was kind of viewed as like to be publicly interacted with straight away which I wasn't expecting at all and friend camp is not like that and I suppose my question is like how do you get more people like you who are prepared to admin their own instance like because you are someone who is technically very able and you have a decent sized social circle and you are a nice person and the only reason that I am on an instance that I like is because I'm lucky enough that I'm friends with you and so I suppose, like, my question would be how how do you get more Darius's running Mastodon instances? 
And I would love to answer that question, and I don't have an answer right now, although I have had a few thoughts about this. At least in the United States, I think it would be really cool if, and this would require a lot more funding for public libraries, but I think it would be cool if your local public library branch ran its own Mastodon or similar interest. And that way, your admin is your librarian in your neighborhood. And even though you might not personally know them, there is some sense of civic duty there Mm. that is not found other places. So that's like one sort of wild example that Mm. I can think of where what if your public library were your admins. That's really interesting and something I had not considered. Good answer. And in theory, that could scale. Yeah. And I suppose that also, like, the the one thing that I really can't get my head around with decentralization and I don't know how it's possible to solve is that it seems like it leaves you with very little, like, legal protection. If you are on a server which is run by one person and that person, like, really fucks you over somehow, you probably have less recourse than you do if or maybe you don't have less recourse than you do if something like twitter if somebody like twitter does it yeah i think you're just fucked in a different way Mm. in the case of friend camp i suppose a user would open a lawsuit against me personally now as an admin if i wanted to maybe i would incorporate and then it would be friend camp llc that would be administering it instead and then i would have some protection under Mm. the law that's also part of the reason why my my instance is invite only because i trust the 40 people who are on there not to fucking sue me yeah i mean and that's the thing that's different about it when you know the administrator right uh or when you know it's or if it's your local public library you know in theory there's a local government you can go to and petition Mm -hmm. for example let's go back to wordpress right there are lots of companies that you can pay that will run your WordPress site mm. for you, right? Yeah. I imagine that Mastodon will eventually be like that too. You know, so you if you will do be upsetting want, a lot of people by saying that, I suspect. <laughs> but if you, it, so if you do end up, you know, if you do want the sort of protection of being having things administered by a company and you have a legal entity that you can you know interact with you will eventually be able to do that too just like you Mm. can with your wordpress sites right now yeah i mean obviously that is not ideal though is it it's and it's and that's the point at which like to me it becomes almost more of a social issue than it is a tech issue Mm -hmm. like it's if if you have a a kind of solid and well-structured community of people with the right skills then you can have a really great experience on there now Mm -hmm. and that's almost the thing that's harder to universalize than the technology is shrug (laughs) thank you so much for listening to us talk about nature's twitter this has been too much not enough i'm emma winston aka dearful on twitter formatted dear like the animal underscore full or dearful on mastodon.social or you can find me on emmawinston.me. And I'm Darius Kazemi, a.k.a. Darius at friend.camp on Mastodon or tinysubversions.com. <laughs> <laughs>